The following message is from the 2017 IBCD Institute, Addictions, Grace for the Journey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present a scenario to you, and, um, and it's going to, it's going to f- function as the foundation of what I have to say. Let's imagine that I come to you and I have a proposition. And here's the proposition. I'm going to pay you to be a sanitation worker in New York City for a year. Okay? Now, part of what that's going to mean for you personally is not just that you're going to drive a dump truck, but actually that you're going to have to actually pick up people's garbage and put it in a trash truck, and you have to do it when it's broiling hot, and you have to do it when it's freezing cold. You're going to have to do it every day for a year. Okay? That's your, that's your imagined scenario. Now, let's say that I said to you, I want you to be this worker, this sanitation worker. Let's make it worse than New York City. Let's, and not at San Diego, because everybody's like, oh, San Diego's no problem. Let's say Atlanta. <laughs> Okay, Atlanta, does that make it, like, jacks it up a little bit? All right, so you're going to have to do that for a year in Atlanta, and at the end of the year, I'm going to pay you $50,000. You're going to have room and board the whole time, but at the end of the year, I'm going to pay you $50,000 for being a sanitation worker. Well, $50,000 is a lot of money, certainly, but when you get to July in Hotlanta, or August, or worse, September, you're going to be wondering if $50,000 is really worth the misery that you're going through, right? Now I'm going to change it. Let's say that. At the end of the year, I promise you, I'm going to give you $5 million. That sort of changes the day-to-day ickiness, if you will, of picking up people's garbage, dirty diapers, whatever, rotten food, if you know that at the end of your time, you're going to get five mil. Makes a huge difference, doesn't it? So when it's September, and you're, and I mean, I've been to Atlanta in July and August, and you can take a shower and dry off and walk outside and be drenched almost immediately. And I have like, I have this sort of curly hair that when I get to Atlanta, my hair goes like that. I look like Sideshow Bob from The Simpsons, if you don't know who that is, never mind. Um, But that reward at the end of the year makes a huge difference, doesn't it? From 50, which is not nothing, to five mil. All right. When we talk with people who struggle with addictions. I wonder how much we talk about the reward of heaven to come. I wonder. Because my perspective is that most of us have a pretty vapid view of heaven. If I said to you, what's heaven going to be like? Um, I mean, what would you say? I think generally in the culture, people would say, well, you know, Christians, I mean, you all are more biblical, so you wouldn't kind of probably be here, although you may be. Well, we get to go, we get to go be with Jesus. 
all right, that's good. But then, like, what's it gonna? What's it like? What what happens? What's what's there? And then we get all confused about uh, being disembodied spirits floating on a cloud and strumming a harp with see-through fingers. And I don't know about you, but that thought does nothing for me today. I'm not dying to be a disembodied spirit floating on a cloud. That's not at all a biblical view of eternity. So what I want to do is, is very quickly build a little bit of a biblical view of what our shared eternity is going to be like, because it's going to be so much better than that, and then talk about how the addictions we give ourselves to here are really, in essence, just a longing for there. And if we can kind of get there, in our thinking, it will be helpful to us as we talk with people who struggle with these things. So, Paul says, my desire is, and I should say this, the bookstore has five copies of this book. This is my book on heaven. It came out last year. I'll tell you why I wrote it, and I'm going to encapsulate it for you real quickly. Um, it's called Home, How Heaven and the New Earth Satisfy Our Deepest Longings. I wrote this book because I have gone, o over the last few years, through a very significant time of trial. And I began, I was supposed to write on something else, but then I began to think, I really wish I could just be in heaven. I mean, did you ever just sort of get up in the morning and say, things here aren't as they should be. I sure wish I could be there. Not really knowing what there is, but knowing that there is better than here. So then I, I, I began to study and read and read and study, and I had loads and loads of notes about Heaven, and so I wrote this book to try to encourage you and I to maybe fire up our imagination a little bit because I think that for most of us, the view of eternity, the view of heaven, is kind of like that $50,000 I promised you instead of the five mil that it should be. And part of that, I think, has to do with the fact that we really haven't been taught, and, I, and I'm not meaning this as a slam on anybody. I just, I just don't think, at least in our generation, in American evangelicalism, we really haven't done a very good job teaching one another and talking about the immense treasures of heaven. I just don't think we've done a very good job of that. Um, so, what happens when we die? Well, um, for the and everybody, this isn't like this is like no brainer, right? But uh, I mean, I'm looking around at all y'all. I think that uh, 60 years from now, you're all going to be dead. I mean, that's like a no-brainer, right? If you don't like 60, I'll say 70. But certainly within a century, you're going to be dead. Every one of you, unless Christ returns. And what's really amazing to me is that as Christians, we know that we, you know, uh, churches in the South particularly, but in other places, um, used to have graveyards right next to them. Now that's kind of a good thing, right? Because you, you, you see, well, well, there's old great aunt so-and-so, and that's where I'm heading too. But we haven't done a very good job firing up the imagination of the saints so that they long 
for heaven. Now, of course, Paul had a particular experience. He was taken up to what would be called the third, he called the third heaven. And in that, he was able then to make statements about my desire is to be, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. I wonder, I mean, I really wonder, how many of us, if we were being really honest to our core, would say, yeah, it really is far better. I mean, it really is far better. What about it is far better? Well, okay, I get to get rid of this old body. That's a, that's a plus. And, uh, and there won't be any crying or pain or suffering, and that's all good, and I'll get to be with Jesus, and that's all. But you know, sometimes I think that we think that what heaven's going to be is sort of an eternity-long worship service. And I, I love worship services, but that's not what the new earth and the new heavens is going to be about. There will be worship there, but that's not all that's going to be there. So when we die, I mean, this is just real quickly, if you want more information about that, get the book. <laughs> um, when we die, we leave our physical body and we go to what Christ called paradise. Now, paradise is not a word that we use so much. It's used a lot in sort of Middle Eastern, sorry, you know, I'm going to be in paradise and get 50 virgins or something, you know, weird about that. But paradise is what Christ is, where Christ said we will be. So we are, in essence, disembodied. Our body's here. Our soul, our spirit, goes to be with Christ, and, but we're only there for a while. That's called the intermediate state. That disembodied thing is not how you're going to spend eternity. So you leave the... Christ returns at the return of Jesus. Then the resurrection happens. And that's when you get your DNA back. So Laura... You're still going to be Laura, but more Laura than you have ever been before. Perfectly Laura. Holy Laura. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks about our physical bodies will be reunited to our physical bodies and our physical bodies are like seeds. Right? A, a seed, kernel of some sort of seed, wheat, corn, whatever. I walk at Kit Carson Park. So those of you who live here in San Diego or up in the North County, there is a park quite close to this place, and it's filled with eucalyptus trees. And, I mean, here's these trees. They're like 50 feet tall, and they're beautiful and big and strong. And the seed pod for a eucalyptus tree is the most bizarre looking thing you've ever seen in your life. Have you ever seen a seed pod for a eucalyptus tree? It's kind of about this big, and it's very dark brown, and it's crusty. It's real crusty on the outside, and has this little X on the top of it. It's really cool, right? In a thousand years, if you looked at that seed pod, you would never say, from that seed pod comes that tree. Would you? You just, you, it, all right? So what's Paul saying? Your body is that seed pod. And what you're going to be, we don't know. It's going to be glorious, though, and it's going to be so much better than what you have right now. Now, when I was younger, I probably wasn't as thrilled about that as I am now. Because mm, pretty much Phil and I go and walk at Kit Carson Park, and we drive home, and I get out of the car, and I go, mm, right? And the first four or five steps are sort of slow. And then 
we will be not just sort of floating on a cloud somewhere. We'll have bodies. And we will be, where will we be? Here on the new earth. See this place where we are right now? Paul tells us in Romans 8 that it's groaning. It's under a curse. Everybody's all about, oh, nature is so wonderful. No, actually, nature's your enemy right now. Sorry. <laughs> Everybody who loves all nature. Nature's not, <clears throat> nature's not your friend. Nature is your enemy. And nature's completely disordered and out of control. Nature's not as it should be. But you're going to be on a new earth. Could you imagine what an orange will taste like on the new earth? <laughs> right, because oranges are really lovely. I love summer fruit, man. Nectarines and plums. and Could you imagine what that's going to taste like there? Not only will the fruit itself taste incredibly great so that you don't feel like you have to eat 40 of them, <laughs> but you're going to have renewed taste buds so you actually be able to taste. And this is kind of an interesting thing. Right now you have three color receptors in your eyes. Some people don't have three, and those people are colorblind. You have three color receptors. Now, there are animals. And there's a, a certain kind of a shrimp that actually has like 18 color receptors. Do you know what that means? That shrimp sees more color than you do. There are colors you've never seen. Does that blow your mind? Just a little? OK, you're going to a new Earth where the Earth itself is not going to be fighting against you, where you, know, you can have a garden, and instead of a tomato, you get you know, some sort of weed. It's not going to happen. And the food there is going to be insanely great, and you're going to be able to taste it the way you should have tasted it. And it's going to be so beautiful, you're going you're gonna to see colors you can't even imagine right now. Now, what are you going to be doing there? Well, you can spend time worshiping. You know what's really interesting? In the creation account in Genesis 3, um, Adam and Eve are given what's called the creation mandate. So they're to... Um, rule and keep the earth and subdue it and keep the garden and right? You know what they're not commanded to do in Eden? They're not commanded to worship. There's no commands to worship. Do you know why? Because worship was a natural part of their life. See, we have to schedule worship services. You got to schedule them, right? Because if you don't, you might not get to it. My perspective is that, yes, of course, there will be a temple, and we will, millions and millions of us, and I, I'm going to just say this, not a majority white people, <laughs> because the population of the earth is not majority white. And you'll still be what you are, your DNA. Redeemed, brought back. But you're going to be in a worship service with people from all sorts of places, but that's not all you're going to do. Like, maybe one day I'll say to you, I heard C.S. Lewis was having a class up in the New Jerusalem about imagination. Let's go up and check it out. See, isn't learning a great joy? Isn't it a great joy when you hear something? It's like this great joy. You will learn on the new earth. When you get to the new earth, you will not be omniscient. 
See, only God's omniscient. And you can spend the next 80 bazillion years and you're still not going to be omniscient. So then I really love to think about galaxies. I've got this book on the Hubble telescope, and it's got all these really cool pictures of, you know, the horsehead nebula and all of that, right? I'd love to go and talk to somebody who knows about astrophysics or go take a class. And I, the problem, you know, a lot of times, maybe we want to do that sort of stuff, but then we think, oh, I don't really have the time. Or, you know, they're really brainy, and I'm kind of stupid, and I'll never understand. You got all the time in the world just to go take it and, you know, spend a thousand years thinking about it. Because you got a thousand years to spend. How cool will that be, right? Or um, every year, my husband and I go on a vacation with some friends, and a few years ago, we, we went to Zion National Park, which if you haven't been there, it's just, it's amazing. And one of the things you can do at Zion National Park is you can take a hike up the Virgin River. And it's called Hiking the Narrows. And the Virgin River has on each side of it like 500 foot high granite walls. And you have to be really careful when you're taking this hike because if a storm comes in, you will drown. And you have to wear a, a dry suit, and I mean, it's a big deal. So the year we found out about it, we couldn't do it. We couldn't fit it into the schedule. So we thought, we'll come back next year and we'll, do the, we'll hike the Narrows. And then the night before we were supposed to travel out to hike the Narrows, I had the stomach flu, and um, so I said, well, let's just go out anyway because I can throw up in a trash can in the car just as easily as I can in the toilet at my house. <clears throat> so we went. That's just that's how I roll. And um, we went out there, but by the time we got there, I was feeling really crummy, and I said, guys, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I've got the strength to do this. And then I thought, I'm not going to hike the Narrows. And then I thought, well, this will just be something I'll do in the new earth. <laughs> right? This is something I'll do there. But what's really, really cool about it is I won't have to worry about drowning in it. But not only that, we could go do it, and it's like the whole time we're doing it, we're worshiping. Get that? See, will heaven be full of worship? Yeah, because I'm going to be saying, and I, will the narrows be there? I don't know, but there'll be stuff to hike, I'm quite sure. So we'll, we'll hike it, and then <laughs> Chesterton talks about, you know when you take a little babe, a little kid toddler, and you put him on your knee, and you go, trot little pony, trot to town, careful little pony that you don't fall down. And then what does the kid inevitably say? Again. Again. <laughs> Right? Again. Right? All right. <gasps> try it, little pony. Try it. You get it. Pretty soon I'm bored. But here's the really cool thing about heaven. You'll never be bored. See, God, God is never bored. That's why he can look at snowflakes and say, again. Can you believe that there's not one snowflake that's like another one? Or one fingerprint? Or one iris? See, God loves saying again. That's because he never gets bored or jaded. Isn't that shocking? Isn't that kind of more like 5 million than 50,000? So I'm going to spend an eternity worshiping and getting to know you all and learning and growing and being completely freed from pain and shame and want and ungodly desire, sin, be completely freed from sin. And sitting around with people, so we're all going to, you know, be sitting around having a talk in the park by the Crystal River, you know? And Jesus will walk up. He'll be embodied, by the way. 
He still wears flesh, you know that. He didn't shed his body like, you know, some snake skin or something. So Jesus will come walking up, and he'll say, hello, children. And we'll say, Lord, we were just talking about you. (laughs) And he'll say, I brought lunch. Let's have a picnic. And then we'll sit down and visit. Now, does that fire your imagination a little bit? Isn't that a lot better than let's go strum a harp or be in a, you know, 80 billion year worship service? (laughs) I mean, can we just be honest about that? I like worship services, okay? But, I mean, I'm more than standing like that. And if I want to do that, I can do that. All right, now, that's the five million. But so much better. You can't even, it's like the colors that you can't see. I can talk about these things and try to paint a picture for you, but it's so much better. I mean, we're going to get there and we're going to say, oh man, seriously? I thought it was going to be like that? I mean, all we see here is shadow. We're looking through a glass darkly. All right, now what does all of that have to do with addiction? Because that's what we're supposed to talk about. See, now, right now, isn't it your desire to depart and be with Christ because that's much better? Sort of a little bit more than like it was. Every addiction is an out-of-control, out-of-place, distorted longing for our true harm. Every addiction is. And my perspective is we ought to really start talking about a full-bodied, beautiful heaven to people who are struggling with addictions. But we don't. Because actually, we're not really so jazzed about it ourselves. So imagine a place that's completely free from shame. Didn't Ed do a wonderful job last night painting the picture of shame? And didn't it make you really happy that a lot of the people, the majority of the people Jesus talked to, not all, but the majority of the people Jesus talked to who were struggling with shame were women? I have a book coming out (laughs) next spring called Finding the Love of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And it's primarily pointed at all of the ways Jesus brought redemption to women particularly and how he did that throughout the whole Bible. Um, So every addiction is an out of control, out of place, distorted desire for our true home. See, the desire to have peace, the desire to have rest, the desire to forget about my shame, the desire to be guilt-free, the desire to have pleasures, that should be there, but it's distorted into trying to have it here. So here, we have no lasting city, but seek the city that's to come. So what are we seeking? What is an addict seeking? Well, we're seeking the city to come. What we actually want is what God has promised to give us, but mm, we want it now. And just like everything, every time you take a good desire and put it in the wrong place, it always brings death. The city to come. So does your counselee have a vibrant portrait of heaven? See, the human heart is meant to live in our true home. That's where we're meant to live. Because we don't have that city now we long for relationships lived in transparency without shame. Don't we long for that? I want to be in a relation I want to be in relationships where I am free to be transparent 
without shame. Now, I've been really blessed. Today is my husband and my 43rd wedding anniversary. Now, that proves that there is a God. That's <laughs> all we need. Um, but Phil has been to me such a kind and welcoming and unshaming person that I've been able to grow in that for 43 years. I've been able to grow in that. I am who I am today because I lived in that context my entire adult life, even though I didn't live in that context as a child. My context growing up as a child was extraordinarily disordered and shame-based. But because Phil has been to me what he's been, he's made me the sort of person that I feel like I can be transparent. But that's nothing compared to what we're going to be like. See, because right now, I can tell you some things, but I'm not going to trust you with everything. You know why? Because you all are sinners. <laughs> so we're going to be there. We will be there. Just not now. To be naked and unashamed. I mean, imagine naked and unashamed. Can you imagine life without a mirror? Wouldn't that be nice? I mean, please use your mirror now. But I mean, not even, not even, not even to be curved in on yourself at all. See, my perspective is that people who are addicts, particularly drug addicts, or porn addicts, this is what they want. They want this, they, they want relationship. And they're settling for this terrible imitation. Um, we all want physical, mental, and emotional pleasure. Listen, there's nothing wrong with desiring a, a good meal, uh, as, sex as appropriate in marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we try to satisfy what we want here with the kind of thing that you're only going to get there. We long for freedom from guilt and shame. Now, I'm going to tell you about a program. If you don't like watching gritty programs, do not watch this program. Okay, I'm warning you. There are things in this program that are very distressing. All right? And if it had a rating, it would have an R rating. The name of the program is American Crime. And I've only watched season one. It is really gritty and troubling. However, I think it's the very best portrayal of what shame and guilt will do to a person. If you can stand to watch it, what about a life freedom free from pain? And we've already heard about how opiates are just like the number of people this year, or last year rather, who have died from heroin overdoses. Compared to 10 years ago, it's like a thousand times more. Well, how do you get hooked on opiates, pain drugs? Mostly, you get them from your doc. You get pain meds from your doc, and then they're actually kind of nice. And then you don't want to stop taking them. And then you figure out, imagine a life completely free from pain. Isn't that what you want? See, that's what they want. What about a life with abundant inheritances, a father who will provide all you need. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Or God-glorifying work, so I don't become a workaholic. Just work in its right place, 
See, workaholism, addiction to not being able to leave your workplace is because you've got something else going on besides you just like work. It's I'm trying to prove something and I need to say something about myself. Or a life of ongoing discovery. That's going to be wonderful. Or eternal joys, shame, without shame, without end. Eternal joy without shame, without end. Yay, right? Without shame, without end. But the problem is that the human heart is incurvatus ense. You know what that means? Turned in on yourself. You're curved in on yourself. I had to drop a little Latin on you, on you there, just, you know, because I want to prove that I'm all that in a bag of chips. Incurvatus ense, because we're that, we try to satisfy things here. And, of course, Romans 3 tells us there are none righteous. We're all curved in on ourselves. No, not one. No one's seeking for God. What we're actually seeking for is us and what we want. No one seeks for God. We seek for us. All have turned aside. The human heart is also hopeless outside of Christ and sees no option for joy here. There's no... Without Christ, what do you have? Nothing. Without hope. Without God. Without that five mil at the end of the year of picking up garbage. How would it change the way you picked up trash if you knew that mm, in 173 days I get that check? How would it change how you do things? So the human heart outside of Christ is without hope and without God. And this may be especially true in those who have lived lives of hopelessness. So if a young person have gro- has grown up in a home where there was no hope, there was no hope of things getting better, and children have this wonderful capacity to continue to hope. But if that has been crushed in them for years, then what's out there? What's the reason to try to to try to reach the end. They're without hope. The human heart is also unbelieving and impatient. (laughs) Aren't we? (laughs) Right? I mean impatient. Seriously? Right? So uh, my mother is quite elderly and once a week at least, if not more, I go see her, and I stop by Panera. What I do before I get to Panera, though, is I get online, and I order whatever lunch I think she's going to want, and you can get a rapid pickup, which basically means it's already paid for, whatever. You run into the store. I go to North County Fair right there, and I park in basically a kind of a red zone, and run in, get my bag, run out, Right? What happens if it's not ready? It's like, excuse me, pardon me. Oh, yeah, we're making it. And in my little black heart, I'm thinking, yeah, but it was supposed to be ready. Now, don't tell me none of you have ever thought that. (laughs) We're all bent we're, we're in curvatus and say, see, I want what I want when I want it. <sighs> the human heart and physical body can be, and this is good news, rehabituated. See, we can be habituated to want to have certain things, drugs, alcohol, Whatever, whatever the addiction is. And honestly, (laughs) Calvin said the heart is a factory for idols. 
It manufactures idols. And so every one of us have addictions. You know, if I decide that I like some new, oh my gosh, I drink coffee now with a little, I, by the way, I only decaf because like I'm all that holy, but <laughs> with just a little splash of lavender in it. Have you had lavender in coffee? Oh, hello. <laughs> okay. I can be a lavender coffee addict in about a half a second. I'm not drinking this. Doesn't have lavender in it. Okay, we're all like that. <laughs> we become habituated really, really quickly, but we can also be rehabituated to wait for our true home with faith and patience. And you know, we've already used this verse here in this conference, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. You know, don't be deceived. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And oh, here's the gospel. Here's the good news. Such were some of you. You don't have to stay there. All right. So the redeemed human heart will eternally enjoy all the good that it longs for in our true home. It will get there. So you don't have to say to the addict who's saying, I, I need freedom from pain. You don't have to say, well, suck it up. Just say, wait a while. <coughs> right? I mean, listen, that sounds really pansy, I know. But I mean, there's this, there's this hope out here. You want freedom from pain? It's coming at you. Probably sooner than you think. <laughs> so we will have complete, loving, transparent, eternal, face-to-face -face relationships with the Lord and others. I mean, seriously, he's still embodied, and he's going to come walking up to you and say, hi, Charlotte. Hi, sweetie. Hi. Remember that time? Yeah. I was praying for you. <laughs> right? And you know, you might fall on your face. <laughs> or you might just hug him. And that'll be okay, too. That? Right? See, we're all longing for the same thing. Listen, that desire for relationship my, and the desire, the desire to be desired is what drives the porn industry. It's what drives the porn industry. The desire to be desired. You want to be desired? Yeah. You are and you will be. We will eternally enjoy all the good that we long for in our true home. See, all the good things that are now twisted and turned in on ourselves, they will all be beautifully, surprisingly, delightfully fulfilled pleasures there without any regret. You know, listen, one time, I, I don't know, we were at a conference and in the South somewhere, and my, uh, I said, oh, I want an ice cream, you know, and so Phil said, my husband's so sweet, so, okay, let's go get some ice cream, you know, so we go, and I, in the days when I used to be able to eat ice cream, and, um, and I got this, like, whole Sunday, and it was, oh, it was just insanely delicious, right, the hot fudge, cold ice cream nuts, whole thing, right? Got it? Yeah? Really, really delicious. Tasted so good. But like as soon as I was done eating it, I looked at Phil and I said, what did you eat? let me eat that for? <laughs> and he said, you should write another book. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the title of the book. He said, you should write a book called All My Sin Is All Your Fault. zillion copies, wouldn't it? <laughs> See, joy and pleasure without regret. I mean, get, get that picture. Joy and pleasure without regret. Wouldn't that be wonderful? 
Mm. We will eat eternally enjoy all the good. We will have no consciousness of guilt. Now let me tell you, if you're a Christian today, you should have no consciousness of guilt. And even though I believe that, I believe that all my guilt has been paid for by Jesus Christ. And God no longer holds it over my head. Even though I believe that, I got to struggle to get there every day. Because, you know, I see what, I see my heart. No consciousness of guilt remaining, no need to anesthetize the soul. My perspective is that a lot of addictions, particularly drug and alcohol addictions, are there because people want forgiveness and want to anesthetize their soul. And giving a person like that more law and telling them more and more about how they're failing is not what they need to hear. First Corinthians 1.18, he will sustain you to the end. What's that word there? Guiltless. Guiltless. You are guiltless. Today, right now, guiltless. In the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right? No relational, physical, emotional, or societal pain to hide from. I listened to a podcast this morning um, while I was walking with, uh, uh, and it's an it's a African-American reformed pastor's podcast, and they were talking about the recent vote at the SBC. And the Southern Baptist Convention recently voted about, and um, quite troubled by that, and I don't want to get into all of that. I certainly don't know everything about the SBC. But just think how really wonderful it will be to have no societal pain at all. No societal pain at all. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. We will have overabundant riches, lacking nothing. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. On either side of the river the tree of was the tree of life. No longer will there be anything accursed. <clears throat> but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him. In worship services, sure. Exploring the Narrows, absolutely. Talking with friends, oh, it's really great to spend the last six and a half years chatting with you. Let's worship Christ now. Like that. Can you imagine having a conversation with somebody without thinking, it's time to go? Or without thinking, mm, I'm not sure whether they really like me? Or huh, without ever thinking, mm, they're kind of boring, I want to move on. Kind of nice. They will see his face, and his name will be on their forehead. So the redeemed human heart will eternally enjoy all the good that it longs for in its true home. Eternally enjoy all the good you're longing for. You can have these things. Just hang on a minute. Hold on a second. Satisfying but blessed work free from the curse of sin and eternity to learn and grow in wisdom and knowledge and love. C.S. Lewis put it this way, joy is the serious business of heaven. So what's going to happen in heaven? Full-on radical joy. joy it's, like, it's like you can't see those colors now. It's like joy you've never experienced. But take the best joy you've ever had in your whole life and then like on steroids. So what do we need to do with addicts then? We need to encourage them to be patient. Now listen, I understand this is just a one part of an entire program of what you might want to do with an addict. But I just want to say, let's open the door to talking about heaven. 
I mean, I, I'm not sure anybody even talks about it. <laughs> be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Hang on a little while. There will be fruit here. Just wait. Patience is always anchored in hope. And you remember what I said about kids who grow up in homes that are hopeless that end up being addicts. You have to teach them what hope is like because patience is always anchored in hope. So what are some of the things we can say? We can say things like, I can have that later, but it'll be better then. I can have that later, but it'll be better then. Or that's something I'll enjoy eternally without harming myself or others. So I want freedom from pain. I want rest. I want rest for my soul. I want rest for my soul in such a way that I don't ever think about my shame anymore. It's coming. You don't have to do it for yourself now. It's on its way. Giving in to this temptation now will only result in pain. So I want to wait. So I'm going to wait. I need to live life, I need to live in the light of my present forgiveness and imputed perfections. I need to remember the gospel. I Just saying again, brothers and sisters in this room today, I have, I have good news for you. You want to know what the good news is? You're completely forgiven for all your sins. Now I know you know that. But I mean, do you know it? You're completely forgiven for all your sins. You don't need to anesthetize yourself in any way or work really hard to try to prove that you are. You're forgiven. And not only are you forgiven, but you have Christ's perfect record. So what is justification? Just as if I had never sinned, just as if I had, you were waiting for me to get there, weren't you? Just as if I had always, do you know what the word is? Obeyed. Obeyed. That's your record right now. Just as if you had never sinned, just as if you had always obeyed. Now, if you, I've written probably six books about that, and I have to beat it into my own head every day. Because I keep living like a slave. I keep living under guilt. God has promised me an eternal life of blessing, and we're just all in the waiting room right now. That's where we are. We're in a waiting room. You ever sitting around in a waiting room? <clears throat> Your name's going to get called. Maybe today. Right? And then when it is, that place, paradise, you're going to be perfectly content and happy and at rest. And then someday, you're going to be rebodied. And you're going to come to the earth as it's meant to be. And you're going to have all these, all your good desires met in ways you can't even imagine right now. So I'm just waiting for somebody to call my name. (laughs) So let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Just steadfast love. Why? Because I've been loved. Now I can practice the life of love that I will be living there by loving my neighbor right now. Listen, what I'm going to do for the next 80 bazillion trillion years in heaven, I'm going to love my neighbor. So I'm going to practice that now. And I'm going to love God. I'm going to live a life of loving God. And it's not going to be this big stretch for me because my heart will finally be turned outward. Jesus understands the pull of habits. Jesus lived a completely human life. When he learned to tie his shoe, his sandal, 
He had to learn it, and it became a habit as a child. He didn't automatically know how to tie his sandal because he was accessing his God's spidey powers. He did that. He made habits, and he understands the pull of habits. He understands longing for a true home. And he knows what it was like to live patiently, wait, and to, and to face despair. See, he's been tempted in every way, as we are, yet without sin. When he knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And then in John 14, he says, if you loved me, you would have been happy that I finally get to go there. They're all sad because he's leaving, but he's over the moon. But then... He also knows what it's like to face despair. And you can't tell me that when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that he was just quoting scripture. In his humanity, he faced despair. Just like you do. Like, really, is there, is there really? Am I really? So the resurrection and ascension proves that he's gone on before us and will unquestionably open the door to our true home for us. So we look to Jesus, loved what Ed said. Eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, thought nothing of the shame, Same. Shame. And is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So eyes on Jesus. And (laughs) will be resurrected with new, guilt-free, pain-free, glorious bodies like his. You remember that? You remember that eucalyptus tree pod? That's you right now. What will you be? Oh, I don't know. You're going to be you, and I'll know it's you, and you'll know it's me, but wow, will you be something. Amazing. Our citizenship, by the way, right now is in heaven. Can you get a picture of that? I mean, don't think that like heaven is way out like in the horsehead nebula. Heaven is actually a different dimension, which is why... When Elijah or Elisha, I always get confused, said to his servant, you know, they're in the middle of this big battle, and he says, Lord, open his eyes, and he opens his eyes, and all of a sudden he can see heaven and everything that's actually going on. It's right here. You just can't see it. It's a dimension. But we've seen enough science fiction that we can sort of get there now, right? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Everything is going to be subjected to Christ, and I'm going to be there. And not old grumpy me. (laughs) Happy me. Joyous me. Mind-blown me. This world isn't all there is. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Whoop, whoop. Then we all who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. We're going to have a party. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, get this, encourage one another. Encourage that addict. I get that that's what you want. I understand it. So do I, 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 I want it too. It can be yours. Just hang on a minute. Be patient. Okay? I pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing, amazing promises. Oh, grant us grace that we will somehow believe them. And I confess that even though I believe them, Lord, mm, help my unbelief, because sometimes I think this is all there is, and I really got to go for it now. Help us. Help us as we help others who are enslaved 
to various habits and desires. Help us to be a blessing to them and to help them remember what their true home is. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2017, IBCD, all rights reserved. More free resources are available at www.ibcd.org.